actually did the face to face. I was sitting back there with Pastor Zebel. I didn't mean it, bro. It's <laughs> a problem when you're invited to speak. Is you know, my wife left today for an invasion team to Seattle, so Pastor McKinney and I were just sitting up in the lobby of a couple of bachelors last night. And, uh, but it's good to be here this morning. Second uh, Peter chapter one. If you'll turn there right now, I want to look at a number of things. Second Peter, chapter 1, and verses 1 through 8. Sometime back, I was reading about the space shuttle discovery, and it was grounded uh, from one of its uh, planned missions, and it was not grounded due to technical difficulties, faulty computer programming. It was not grounded because of a lack of government funding, but it was grounded because of woodpeckers. And what happened was a kind of woodpecker, a yellow shafted flicker woodpecker, that found that the insulating foam on the shuttle's external fuel tank was irresistible material for pecking. And this foam is critical to the shuttle's performance. Without it, ice would begin to form on the tank as it's filled with super cold fuel and that ice could easily break free and damage the spacecraft. And so the shuttle was grounded as a result for repair before it could fly again. And so this morning... I want to look with you at one such woodpecker that grounds a lot of marriages out of 2 Peter chapter 1. Last night, oh, it's still here. The coffin as a symbol of what I wanted to preach on. I want to preach this morning on how to change your spouse. And so if the coffin was a symbol of last night's sermon, this is a symbol of this morning's sermon. Let me know what this is. TV remote control, uh, most homes... uh, in America today, have more of these than anything else. And we get very good at that, at changing channels, changing programs. So I want to talk about how to change your spouse because the most difficult challenge in this marriage retreat is not coming to the services, not going to be hearing sermons. We are all uh, quite adept at that, but it is going to be the challenge. Uh, of changing. That is going to be the most difficult challenge. A change is not cheap. Pastor McKinney just mentioned our adversary, the devil. The devil does not want you to change. And I believe this morning that we need a realistic view of change. Someone said one time, the trouble with people is not that they think they know so much, but they know so much that just isn't so. And so we need a realistic view of change because change is not elusive, it's not mysterious, but it is hard. I said change is hard. 
And change does take time. I believe in the power of God. I believe in the grace of God. But I want you to know, change, lasting change, come into your marriage, is not going to take place uh, in a night and a day during a marriage retreat. In other words, when you come to next Tuesday and things have not radically turned around in every area, don't begin to think or say, well, I knew the retreat wouldn't help. I knew it was going to be a waste of time and money anyhow. So I want to look at change this morning out of Second Peter chapter 1, how to change your spouse and try to further acquaint you with reality and motivate you to believe God and to begin to take action and help instigate a process leading to change. Second Peter 1 verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How to change your spouse. I want to begin by uh, talking about the, or, or facing the frustration. If there was a motto that we could attach to many marriages, it would be, nobody ever told me it would be like this. How many would say honestly that my whole view of life and of marriage uh, has changed radically over the years from what I thought it was going to be to what I realize it, it really is. Nobody told me it was going to be like this. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. They are very messed up concerning issues of morality and of marriage. And he says, even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. So he is talking about marriage, and it sounds at least on the surface that he is down on marriage. That's not the case at all. But he makes this statement, nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. Now, I get marriage uh, invitations all the time. And there are always these ni- usually these nice white cards with silver printing on them, maybe two rings joined together, some other type of artwork. But I have never found that verse on too many wedding invitations. So and so, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so invite you to the marriage of their daughter, so-and-so to so-and-so, uh, at 11 a.m. at the Door Christian Fellowship, uh, 2950 East Irvington Road, and at the bottom, uh, nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. The Living Bible says marriage will bring extra problems. In other words, he says marriage is not a trouble-free environment. I have over the years counseled many people who want to get married. And you know, I, I, I try to do my pastoral best 
to acquaint these people with reality, but I would say probably 80% or more, they don't really hear you. You know, here they are, they're courting, and you know, are you running into any rough spots? Are you running into any problems? And they look at you, problems? What is that? And so you begin to tell them, you know what, marriage is go- it's not always easy. Uh, it is going to require some effort and some hard work. Uh, and they're smiling at you. They're nodding because basically all they want is to make sure their names get down in the calendar on a certain date so that they can be married. But inside, they're almost thinking, well, uh, you know, I'm sorry that you have run into things like this. But ours, you see, is a different kind of love. Ours is a forever kind of love. And this mentality is fostered by all kinds of myths about love and happily ever after fairy tales. And so many, many people, when they do encounter rough spots, when they do encounter turbulence in their marriage, they wrongly begin to think this shouldn't be happening. I remember one of the first couples I ever married. Actually, it was I think the first couple who had gotten saved come into the church and were married. And uh, probably a, a, a week later, it might have even been five days later, I'm getting a call from them. They're having major problems. Uh, there are all kinds of friction. There's all kinds of conflict. They haven't even been married a week. And I'm thinking to myself, this shouldn't be happening. I was a young, naive pastor. I can remember getting on the phone calling Pastor Mitchell, telling him what had happened. This is our first marriage and all these problems. And I said, Pastor Mitchell, this shouldn't be happening, should it? And he just laughed. And so here is the statement. uh, Nevertheless, they shall have trouble in the flesh. It should do away with the myth of a perfect marriage. None of us here this morning have a perfect marriage. The myth that if you were really, really spiritual, you wouldn't have any disagreements. Someone said marriage is when you agree to spend the rest of your life sleeping in a room that is too warm besides someone who's sleeping in a room that's too cold. Larry Christensen said a successful marriage is not a business of perfect people living perfectly by perfect principles. Rather, marriage is a state in which very imperfect people often hurt and humiliate one another, yet find the grace to extend forgiveness to one another and so allow the redemptive power of God to transform their marriages. And so I believe this is something that every one of us are going to face. If you could uh, rewind the mental videotape in your mind this evening and think back about uh, the time when you and your spouse were courting and you would think back and ask yourself, what were the qualities that attracted me to this man? What were the qualities that attracted me to this woman? And and uh, women would think, well, he was, uh, you know, uh, witty or he was intelligent or he was kind. Uh, uh, men would think, well, she was attractive, she was uh, giving, she was perky or all these other qualities that come to mind. But if we were to fast forward the tape to the present as we are sitting here this morning and ask ourselves about the qualities that stand out today in our spouse, many times it doesn't even sound like the same person. 
And often what you will find is our perception today is a lot more negative. In other words, all of the flaws seem to stand out much more. And it's not that this person has really changed. All of those flaws were there beforehand, but over time the lens through which we view one another begins to change. And so here this morning is an age-old sport. Because a lot of marriage problems, a lot of friction and frustration in marriage involves one partner or both trying to change his or her spouse. Now they may not consciously have thought this out, but in their attitude it is one or more trying to change their spouse. Whether it's a certain bad habit, a certain character flaw, personality trait, some physical attribute, we set ourselves out to change one another. It's one, of, And I'm sure we've all prayed one of those, Lord, straighten him out prayers. Or Lord, straighten her out prayers. Lord, I can't deal with this anymore. You're going to have to touch them. You're going to have to change them. Isn't it interesting? Our prayers are never, Lord, I can't take this any longer. You're going to have to change me. So we become marital missionaries thinking that we are called to change one another instead of understanding one another. And a lot of people may try to deny this, but it is the source of a lot of frustration. Many of the seeds of resentment are sown right here. It opens the door to the process of drifting in a marriage. And ultimately, it is a no-win situation. When you believe that it is your place in calling to change one another, it is a no-win situation. And you will see many, many marriages as a result where a spirit of blame begins to take over. You know what? You're the reason that I am unhappy. If you were just... And then we have this long list of filling in the blanks. Because in our minds, we think that our spouse's primary purpose in life is to meet all our needs. Wives think, well, you know, and say, he's not meeting my needs. Listen, there is no human being alive that can meet all your needs. Your husband, your wife was never intended by God to meet all your needs. God himself, God alone is the source of those things. He called you and I to be partners in the work of God and in the relationship of marriage. And what happens in many homes, as this becomes a cycle, this cycle of trying to change one another. It goes from t- uh, times that are very intense where we are demanding uh, instantaneous or radical transformation and sometimes it is salted with threats like, if you don't change, I'm out of here. Or little things like, all right, well, if you don't like it, just leave. All right, I will. And then it goes from that And to the other end of the spectrum, which is just giving up on the whole issue, concluding that it's hopeless. And then a few weeks go by and some little incident again will trigger this cycle all over again. And sometimes this battle can carry on year after year after year after year with little noticeable improvement. And so you have married couples who waver between hope and frustration, who waver between renewed efforts to change your spouse, followed by a retreating into 
passivity and anger. It's like someone described he's compared marriage to two porcupines trying to survive an Arctic winter. When the mercury drops and the snow begins to fly, they cuddle together for warmth. But when they do, their quills stick one another, so they pull apart, but soon begin to shiver. So they move together again and stick each other. And so the dance goes on, damaging and distancing, damaging and distancing, until they realize if they don't learn to adjust to one another, uh, they will never survive. So here is the source of a great deal of frustration and it results in marital deadlock. The mentality, well, when he or she changes, then we're going to have a, a happy marriage. And we begin to build up all kinds of unrealistic expectation. When they change, then we're going to be happy. And so we set out on this course of trying to change one another. You know, women want to change men into women and Men want to change women into men. There are probably some women that even if they were married to Jesus, they would try to change him. You know, there's only one image that we're called to be conformed to. And that is not yours. It is the image of Jesus Christ. And if your desire this morning is to change your spouse, you're always frustrated uh, with your mate. The real problem uh, usually is not them. The real problem is that you two are not one. And so we need a realistic look this morning at change because we do know and believe that God is in the changing business uh, and change and marriage are synonymous, that if you want a better marriage, if you want a biblical marriage, you are going to have to do something. You will have to change and you will have to grow. If you have been married 10 years and there has been little or no change, little or no growth, the problem is not your spouse. The problem is in your heart you are resisting the Spirit of God. We're going to have to change. We're going to have to grow. And so I want to understand with you some of the dynamics behind real change and tell you this morning that the key to everything is the heart. I mention that because most secular books and even Christian books do not really deal with the heart. There's lots of secular psychology. There are processes whereby we are told we need to examine our painful past. And I believe there are times we need to deal with issues of the past. But once you've dealt with it, why don't you move on? People who are forever and ever and ever dealing with the past, there's something wrong. They just don't want to let it go. We are told we need to focus on all of our unmet needs, how our spouse is not meeting those needs. Others say, well, the answer is helping you build self-esteem. And at best, all of these are just symptoms. And, you know, you can spend hours and hours and hours with all of these, and it can be a very draining experience. And yet the Bible's emphasis is not really on any of those things. The Bible's emphasis is always on the heart. Because the heart is the center of a man's person. The heart encompasses your will, your desires, and your treasures. The heart 
is the distinctive character uh, of a man or woman. Uh, and the emphasis in the Bible is always on the heart. God does not look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. David prayed and said, Search me, O Lord, and know what? Know my heart. The Bible talks about people whose heart is not right in the sight of God. The chief commandment is that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. And if you were to ask me this morning, what is the major number one problem in so many marriage conflicts and marriage failures, I would simply echo what Jesus said, and that is the problem is the hardness of your heart. Well, Moses allowed us to write a certificate of divorce. Yes, he made that provision because of the hardness of your heart. That what wars against marriage and what impedes change and what hinders and divides and separates is this problem of the hardness of our heart. And the inclination of all of us is towards that hardening process. And so the emphasis in the Bible is on the heart. Because, you know, what is marriage? More than just two people occupying the same house, sharing the same bed, the same bills, eating the same food. But biblically, marriage is the joining together of two people. The Bible says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's the Bible's definition of marriage. That it refers to that supernatural bonding, that deep, invisible bonding of a man to his wife, a wife to her husband, which is a work of God. I don't have the words to describe that. There is a mystery there. But it says they shall be joined together. There is a deep, supernatural, inner bonding of a man and his wife. You know, I been married 28 years now and I was thinking about this that there are a lot of times you know that without my wife I am lost not because I'm incompetent not because I lack diligence but because of this bonding because of God at work in two people's hearts uh, joining their lives together and marriage in the will of God is the commitment of a man and a woman to give their hearts to each other. When everything else is said and done, it is the commitment of a man or woman to give their hearts to each other, and it is this law that governs the marriage relationship. That is why when you see a married couple where drifting has occurred, they have drifted from their moorings and from their covenant commitments. When you see a marriage where a distance has occurred. They may still be living under the same roof, but they are miles and miles and miles apart. When you deal with a marriage where the thrill is gone or the buzz is gone, what you will always find is some way or another our heart has been turned to other things. Whether those other things are the cares of daily life, it could be sin, it could be disobedience, it could be wrong priorities, it could simply be increased responsibility, it could be various uh, personal concerns, uh, but when our hearts have been turned to something else, uh, you'll always encounter that frustration. And one of the profound and very simple truths of the Bible is that our heart is the key that can lose God's power. 
that if God can get a hold of our hearts, then the power of God can be released in our marriages. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That that joining or that binding power of God is always going to be released in the direction of your heart. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That means the person to whom you give your treasure. The person to whom, uh, to whom you give your treasure is the person to whom you are becoming supernaturally bound or joined together. And that treasure is more than just money or material possessions. It's talking about your time, your inner self, your desires. The person to whom you give your treasures is the person to whom your heart is being knit together. And every married couple can remember a time when it was very, very obvious who your treasure was. The question is, is it still obvious today? Is the one that you are married to still the treasure that you are giving yourself to? Ask yourself, never mind about trying to put on a good marriage retreat face. Be honest this evening or this morning. Is my treasure still focused upon this man or this woman? Because I don't believe that we consciously come to a place where we say, well, I'm going to stop treasuring my spouse. Uh, But what happens is we begin to turn our attention or we begin to turn our heart towards other things. Other things could be career goals. Sometimes it's children. But what happens is very suddenly our hearts are being turned to other things. And if there's going to be change, we're going to have to decide to put our treasure back on the person that God has given to us. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You're going to have to decide to put your treasure back on that person that you've entered into covenant relationship with before God. What that means is love is not some uncontrollable force wandering mysteriously in and out of our lives. Pastor McKinney mentioned those as well. We just fell out of love. No, it isn't this mysterious thing that somehow I'm smitten and then just somehow it left. We're really not responsible. We don't know how it happened. There's really nothing we can do because it is beyond our control. No, the Bible says that we can activate love by turning our hearts toward our mates. And the door this morning to marital blessing is your heart. If there's going to be change, that change is going to be the result of you deciding to turn your heart towards your mate. And it sounds very, very simple. And in one sense it is. If it was so complicated, then none of us would ever get it. The problem is, is if we've been burned, if we've been hurt, if there has been a long process of neglect, if some of the things that Pastor McKinney mentioned that men need and desire and women need and desire, if those have been neglected over a long period of time, it becomes more and more difficult and we are less and less willing to really turn our hearts toward our spouse. That's why in the Bible there are two distinct methods of changing people. I want you to listen to this because it does apply to our marriages. One is in the Old Testament where God basically laid down the law for men to obey. When God gave the law, He established certain punishments or consequences 
for disobedience or the violation of that law, and he established certain blessings or rewards for doing his will. God gave the law. And when he gave the law, in one sense, God removed himself from personal contact, and he demanded that mankind live up to and live by the standards that he set. Here is the perfect law. Now, we know this morning that there is nothing wrong with the law. The law is holy. God gave it. This is my standard. Now you need to live up to it. The problem was, is that the law did not change people. The law showed people their shortcomings. The law showed people that they were sinners, but it did not change anyone. Now, in the New Testament, God's method of changing people is different. Because in the New Testament, God loved us through Jesus Christ. He has accepted us. He has forgiven us. And he has opened himself for personal relationships. When we came to Christ, if if God has said, all right, here it is. Here's a list of my standards and my laws. You live up to them, you measure up, or you can forget any kind of blessing, any kind of relationship. All of us would have been wiped out. But the operating principle in the New Testament is the principle of grace That in Christ, God has forgiven us, uh, He has accepted us, uh, and He has brought us into a relationship with Himself so that He changes men and women primarily from the inside, which results in them beginning to walk in a new way or outward change. But because He is forgiven, because He is accepted, and His Spirit working in our hearts, He begins to change or mold an individual from the inside out. Now, you can take those two methods this morning, and you can apply them to marriage. Because in marriage, partners can assume one of these two roles or two methods. You can have a marriage that is based on the law. Basically, you step back somewhat from the relationship and you demand that your spouse live up to certain standards that you feel are right. If he or she measures up and uh, uh, to these standards, then uh, they will be rewarded with certain benefits. And a lot of marriages operate under that principle. As long as you measure up, as long as you toe the line, then uh, there will be certain benefits. But if you don't, those benefits are going to be removed. And what happens is you very subtly uh, become the judge and you remove yourself from real relationship and oneness uh, in your marriage. And what we need to learn and see this morning is this type of relationship doesn't work. See, one person demanding that the other live up to certain standards does not work. And yet so many marriages function on that principle. They may not have been able, they have, may, may not have thought about it uh, and uh, verbalized it, but that is how they function uh, in their relationship. It didn't work for God changing men in the Old Testament. It doesn't work uh, in marriage. It leads to resentment, uh, but more, the Bible says, it actually brings a curse that the power of blessing is no longer operative in that marriage, uh, but a power of cursing uh, has uh, been released in that relationship. 
See, the dynamics of real change in the New Testament is learning to accept one another and turn your heart to them and endeavor to fall deeper in love with that person and that begins to release the binding, joining power of God within your relationship, uh, which in turn allows God to begin to mold and change people from within. You know, most marriages that thrive are marriages that are filled with grace. There's a whole lot of grace at work in that marriage. You know, it's amazing how we believe that God deals with us and accepts us on the principle of grace, but we're unwilling to demonstrate that same grace in our marriage. God accepts us. God forgives us. We know by the work of the cross, not on the basis of our merit, and yet our attitude in our homes is so unlike that. It's like, all right, here are the things that you need to measure up to, uh, and if that's not happening, there's going to be no grace, no blessing whatsoever. And it's amazing how we can treat one another completely different than the way God treats us. And thriving marriages are filled with grace. I have to question, I have to ask myself if there is a home that is so totally lacking in grace. Grace meaning to be accepted and to accept. Grace which chooses to focus not on all the things we don't like, but on the things that we do like. Homes that are so lacking in grace. I have to ask, what kind of relationship does that person really have with God? Have they been seized by the grace of God? Have they been seized by the wonder of God's grace that forgave them in Christ and brought about a change because we knew that God loved us? We knew that in Christ He accepted us and that brought us into a place of security where we could open our hearts to God for Him to change us. And yet so often that is completely missing in so many marriages. You know, ultimately, the only person you can change is you. Now, I entitled this sermon, How to Change Your Spouse, to come to this point that you can't change your spouse. The only person you can change and the person that you are responsible for and the person that you will one day be accountable to God for is you. And real change is not the process of a law that is imposed. The real change in a marriage is the process of two people giving their hearts to one another, accepting one another, and the grace and the power of the Spirit of God gets involved in their hearts and in their lives. Someone wrote these words, Building a marriage that withstands the test of time requires an understanding of the foundation on which healthy relationships are constructed. It often appears the mortar that holds it all together is acceptance. Charles L. Allen put it this way, quote, one of the most or one of the important things about marriage is to be accepted. Love is the basis of marriage, but there are many married people who have never felt accepted. Marriage is not a reformatory. And spouses need to reach out to each other without criticism or reservations. 
To live with a wife or husband who does not accept you is a dark valley to walk through. Marriage involves two imperfect human beings joining together. Accept your spouse for who they are, not what they would be, could be, or should be if they only listen to you. Mature love is an unconditional acceptance and commitment to an imperfect person for what they are, not what you would like them to be tomorrow. You can operate on the basis of the law trying to change one another and you will go to your grave frustrated. And you will miss out on the grace of God that can get involved in your life and can get involved in your marriage. Because the real endeavor of marriage is not to be trying to change one another. It is to become one with one another. So let me talk to you about implementing the plan. Because as I said in the beginning, if your marriage is going to thrive, you're going to have to change. Plain and simple. You say, well, I thought you just talked about acceptance. Yes, I did. I'm talking about how we respond, our attitude towards our mate. But uh, our responsibility before God is that if my marriage is going to grow, I'm going to have to change. And so if we're going to implement the plan here, we're going to have to drop the excuses. And, you know, I think uh, uh, someone mentioned it last night or, uh, or uh, Brother McKinney this morning. Well, that's just the way I am. Yeah, I know that. That is the problem here. Well, that's just the way I am. You know, deal with it. While we're not called to change one another, the real issue is that if our marriage is going to thrive, we are going to have to be changed. And I believe that there needs to be uh, compassion here and sympathy and concern about those who are involved in marital conflict. But you know what? A lot of Christians need to be told, you know what? Grow up. Never, you know, we want to, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. No, you, you know what you need to both do? You need to start growing up. You are a bunch of babies. Well, boys will be boys, that's right, but most women don't want to be married to a boy, they want to be married to a man. Why don't you start growing up? Why don't you stop doing what the world is doing? And why don't you start loving one another? I mean, so often in our marriage counseling, other things, we're simply adopting a, a worldly pattern and trying to make it uh, work in a Christian setting. But you know what? A lot of God's counsel is very, very simple. Why don't you repent? Why don't you grow up? Stop doing the things that are damaging your relationship and start doing uh, what I said. Grow up. Jay Adams, who wrote some profound words, he said, if you had to live with a wife like mine, or you wouldn't have done it to, to or you would have done it too if, if he said this to you, etc., etc. He said, these and 101 similar protests are heard by Christian counselors daily. Boiled down, they all say one thing. Please excuse me for my responsibilities on the grounds that my problems are unique. But is it? Does God ever allow a Christian to face a test that is unique? 
even if he does, would that be an adequate excuse? In an unmistakable, clear reply, Paul said, no, you cannot evade your responsibility to think and act like a Christian by pleading your case as unique. Now, I like that. Because, you know, I think if we would just be Christians, our marriages could improve immensely. If being a Christian means anything. He went on to say, to be sure, there are unique features and no two situations are ever exactly alike. But what Paul insists is that beneath these features you will find the problems of the Jews in the wilderness, the temptations of the Corinthians and the Roman Empire, and the frustration of modern day Americans are not significantly different. God has not changed. His commandments have not been altered and sinful man below his modern sophisticated exterior is still the same. Men today stand in the same relationship with God and one another as they did in Bible times. Therefore, the message of the Bible is as fresh today as when Paul's letter was first unrolled and read in Corinth. Sinful men who disobey the laws of God still find that God's message of forgiveness in Scripture is the only answer to this life's most fundamental problem. So when all is said and done, God says, you know what? You need to grow up. You need to stop doing what the world's doing and you need to start loving one another because your situation is not unique and you can't cop out on the grounds, well, you don't know the man I'm married to. You don't know the woman I'm married to. This is unique. No, it's not unique. And God's Word speaks to our hearts and lives. And that's why I want to leave you this morning with a model for lasting change in the text that we read, which really encourages us to get with the program. Because if our marriages are going to be blessed, we're going to have to be changed. When I mentioned last night, it might have been a bit of exaggeration, but how that it takes 10 to 15 years to really adjust to one another and really, you know, uh, you know, work out some of those rough spots. That may be a bit of an exaggeration, but uh, uh, the real issue is that if we're going to see blessing in our marriage, we're going to have to change. There are four words in this text that I want to leave with you that can be a real model. You can hang your marriage on this or the process of seeing real change. And the first word is conviction. Conviction that the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word provide the foundation for a lasting marriage. Verse 1 and 2, Simon Peter, a bondservant of an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace. How many should say this morning, you know what, my marriage could stand a little bit of grace and peace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. A conviction that Jesus and His Word provides the foundation for our marriages. And most married people would solve, uh, you know, 80 to 95% of their difficulties if they would simply do what the Bible says. Grace and peace be multiplied through the knowledge of Jesus. 
as we begin to walk in relationship with Him and apply the knowledge of His Word and will to our lives in marriage, we can begin to see change. The second word is confidence. Confidence in God's faithfulness and God's involvement in your marriage. Verse 3 says that He has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. You know, I believe we could substitute a word there that He has given us unto us all things that pertain to marriage and godliness. Because all things encompasses our marriages. That God has given unto us all things that pertain to marriage and godliness, a confidence in His faithfulness and involvement in our marriages, that apart from the grace of God working in us, uh, there is very little hope of change or loving one another in the way that God intends. But a confidence, God, you have given me those things that pertain to marriage and godliness. Those things are available. You are at work in our lives and we can lay hold of those by faith. One man wrote and said the difference between success or failure doesn't depend on the depth of the problems. For Some of the most hopeless marriages have been turned around for the better. The difference is that one couple opened their lives to the power of Christ and another did not. Some couples failed the pain uh, of their personal failures, whereas others would not pay the price that honesty requires. It is a confidence that God is at work. The third word is commitment. A commitment to humbly and wholeheartedly seek change. Now, I have found over the years that I am very, very good at pointing out flaws in my wife. And I have also found that whether in my mind or in whatever area that I am doing that, you know, it's her, Lord, that the Holy Spirit always comes, grabs my hand, said, you, pal. And there must be a commitment to humbly and wholeheartedly seek change, even when that change is awkward, even when it is difficult, even when it is demanding. One of our marriage retreats a couple of three years back, I think it was right before the services began, my wife had written me a little card And in that card, she said these words, God is still changing me, and I am open for more. Now, that that lit my fuse going into, in a good way, going into that marriage. God is changing me, and I am open for more. My heart is open for God to change me, and work in my heart, conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. This commitment to humbly and wholeheartedly seek change. Verse 4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we would be made the partakers of the divine nature. Here is the authority and the power of God and Scripture so that we can partake of God's nature, escape the corruption not only of this world, but the corruption in our own hearts, in our own lives, committing ourselves to seek change. 
God, I do want to change. If all you are doing in this marriage retreat is thinking, you know what, my wife, she needs to change, or my husband, he needs to change. Undoubtedly, that is true. But God says, no, where it needs to begin is you committing yourself to humbly and wholeheartedly seeking change. The fourth word is continuance, or continuing in the process. Because I would love to say this morning that what we're going to do at the end of this seminar is we're going to have a prayer line. I want you to stand across here and we're going to come and in Jesus' name we're going to lay hands on you and the power of God's going to hit you and there's going to be such change in your marriage that it's just going to blow your mind. But change doesn't come that way. Change is a difficult process. Change is a time-consuming process process. And that is why a continuance in the process is so important. And that's why in verse 5, it says, for this very reason, giving all diligence or making every effort. Say that with me. Making every effort. You know, I've heard people over the years in marriage counseling, well, I've tried everything. Uh, Excuse me? You said you have tried what? Everything? Everything as in Everything? Well, you know, not, not exact. The Bible says, make every effort to add to your faith virtue or character. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. We know that a lot of our marriage problems are the result of a lack of self-control whether in our appetites, our words, our attitudes, to self-control, perseverance, or patience, to patience, godliness, which is, you know, you're not one thing in church and another thing at home, to godliness, brotherly kindness. Kurt said, kindness. You treat sometimes your brothers and sisters in church far better than you treat your husband or wife. You would never say to a brother or sister in a church what you say to each other. To brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. You know, how many can see there that if we have faith, preached last night, do you believe this? If you believe, you'll see the glory of God's faith that God can work in our marriages. That if we have faith, if there is virtue, if there is knowledge, if there is self-control, if there's patience, if there's brotherly or godliness, if there's brotherly kindness, and if there's love, how many can see that it doesn't take a genius to see that our marriages could improve immensely? And all of that is predicated by verse 5 that says, make every effort to add to your faith. In other words, you and I can't be passive. Change is not going to occur by you and I being passive. You and I will only develop these qualities as we will begin to make every effort and make that a focus. And we will continue in that process. And again, you add all those qualities, and if they're present, And if they're growing in your marriage, you're going to have a smoking marriage. 
You say, how is that change going to occur? By obeying God a day at a time. By obeying God one opportunity at a time by the grace of God and by doing that over a period of time. You know, they tell us that to change any habit takes between 45 and 90 days. Now, that's just talking about just a, a normal habit. In other words, they're saying, wait a minute, change, real change, lasting change is going to be a process uh, that you're going to have to be committed to. And when husbands uh, start loving their wives, when wives start turning their hearts toward their husband, uh, and they, are, they ha- possess a conviction that Jesus and His Word is the foundation for their marriage, when they have a confidence in God's involvement and faithfulness in their marriage, when they have a commitment to humbly and wholeheartedly seek change, and when they will continue in that process, they can add to their marriage. They can add to their marriage all of the things that enhance, all of the things that beautify, all of the things that make it fruitful, all of the things that war against the barrenness that would seek to enter into our lives and our relationships. Someone said these words, I'll close with this. He said, most marriages develop their pattern over time, not by design, but by drift. Courses of least resistance, following one's own desires and the like, in time develop into patterns. Every one of us, there are patterns of life. We think we are these freewheeling, independent, spontaneous creatures. No, all of us, and in our marriage, we establish a pattern. It will come, or he says, you will never drift into God's pattern. It will come only by repentance, by prayerful understanding, and by daily awareness of what you are doing in a repetitive effort to realize God's design in all that you do. You must choose between drift and decision. Decide now to reshape your marriage according to God's great plan set forth in the pattern of Christ and His church. If you do, your marriage will be blessed more and more as it grows, not drifts into the shape designed by God. If our marriages are going to improve, it is going to be because we change. And that's really what this is all about, folks. It is about you and I changing. It is about you and I really being committed to that process of change, not trying to change our spouse, but turning our hearts toward our spouse and living in the grace of God towards one another, but committing ourselves to the diligent process that, God, you're going to change me into the man or the woman that you want me to be. And any married couple that will honestly and persistently and diligently commit themselves to that, God can get involved and God can do wonderful things in your heart and life. But it's not going to be because you somehow mysteriously drift into it. It is because you commit yourself to the pattern or to the design of God's Word to bring about change in your life and change in your marriage. I want you to bow your heads this morning with me. Those words that my wife communicated to me, God is still changing me, and I am open for more. 
convey so accurately and wonderfully the heart and the essence of a thriving marriage. Two people that are committed to Christ, that are committed to God's pattern for life and marriage, and two people who are open and committed to the process of change and growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So much frustration in our marriages really can boil down to one or both spouses trying to change one another. You'll be frustrated. You'll waver between anger, resentment, and then just hopelessness and despair. You'll bounce back and forth. You don't see what you want to see. And I, when I talk about that we're not called to change one another, but to see change in our own lives, I'm not implying that there's not a need for change. But I'm applying, or I'm saying that God is the one who brings change, and His method of bringing change is not by you and I living up to certain standards and then God said, all right, maybe I'm going to help you. But it is God giving himself to us in relationship uh, and and forgiveness and acceptance uh, and working out that change from our hearts uh, and lives that begins to be seen in our behavior in the same way in marriage. Instead of trying to change your spouse, you start turning your heart towards them. Say, well, you know, they're not perfect. No kidding, and neither are you. But it's as we turn our hearts towards one another that there is that supernatural and mysterious joining together. The two shall become one flesh. That doesn't just happen when you say, I do at a marriage altar. That happens where month after month, year after year, decade after decade, you say, I still do. And I am still turning my heart, my treasure, my will towards that other person. This morning, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, before we do anything else and before we dismiss for a brief break period, there's been a lot said this morning, and I believe that the Holy Spirit has been touching people's hearts. He's been saying as the word's gone forth, you know what? That's for you.